The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen, the unofficial The Flash podcast, a poppychularadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020, and I'm your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the CW series, The Flash. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Central City. Dimitri Wijasinger. What's good, Central City? And Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome back, Central City and the Mirrorverse. Let's jump into our recap of Season 6, Episode 16, which was titled So Long and Good Night and aired on April 21st, 2020. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. After Black Hole hires Ragdoll to kill Joe, Singh suggests he goes into Witness Protection Program. Elsewhere, Ralph runs into Sue and Iris becomes suspicious of Eva. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 6, Episode 16. The episode was viewed by 1.11 million total viewers and had a 0.4 in the demo. Down a few viewers, but steady in the demo. So what was everyone's initial reaction to the episode? Jeff, let's start with you. Alrighty. So there was a lot going on in this episode. And and Millie, because I don't know if y'all know, but Millie transcribes all of these podcasts. She actually does the, you know, the, the, the official transcript. When you type a lot, put that in all caps. Because there was a lot in this episode. So much. I will say for the most part, everything did hit properly. Um, And uh, yeah, for the most part, I, I did find myself liking the episode. And I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if we call it nostalgia. But the fact that we have not had an episode of The Flash in what feels like eons maybe that you know is uh you know uh, mixing in with the fact that that i really enjoyed it but uh or maybe not i don't know Uh, but for the most part i really did find it enjoyable and just a reminder to our listeners if you'd like a written transcript of the podcast uh contact uh, millie at her social medias which will be at the end of the podcast yes the asian nerd millie what was your reaction to the episode um i would like to preference if you do uh it will be completely spelled wrong my spelling is atrocious, but oh. <laughs> um, I, I have to be the exact opposite of, of Jeffrey. I was not a fan of this episode. Um, I thought that there was so much going on. At, individually, they sort of worked, but together in, in the di- idea of like a cohesive story, it was very disjointed, and it kind of um, just felt like we were just touching everything, but not into a depth where I could really care about anything that was really going on um, on that. So I thought it was very kind of a bumbling mess towards the end. And speaking of bumbling messes, Dimitri, what's your reaction to the episode? I was going to say that's what people say about my comedy, but you beat me to it, Professor. So be that that as it may... Um, I, 
I have to disagree with Millie. I'm saddened with Jeff on this one. I thought this was a really good episode. And for a while, I've been wondering with this series, like, where is this all going? And please, can we get Iris out of the mirror? Um, Because I am a little sick of that storyline and those interactions. They feel really claustrophobic, and I don't feel like they're doing anything new. Um, But uh, I felt like in... uh, What's his face? Douchebag. What's his name? Carver. Uh, Joseph Carver, who, by the Carver. way, is listed yeah. in my notes as Punchable Douchebag, Joseph Carver. Oh, okay. Yes. That is his full yeah. name, right? Seems to be that way. Um, so, yeah, I, like, uh, in him, you somehow found a genuinely menacing villain. And largely, it's just because he has money and hires Ragdoll. But it was really well done, and we felt vulnerability on the part of Team Flash in a way we haven't felt in a while. I think exploring that is what has sort of kept Arrow alive uh, despite the main character's personality. Um, But, oh, Arrow alive. Oh, well, moving on. Um, In terms of the show, like, I think the Flash typically has had a problem of lacking truly menacing villains. And also the meta of the week trope has... uh, has sort of been like we we're like 10 minutes in and we know exactly like you know 50 minutes in they're gonna capture this meta uh nobody's gonna get hurt uh you know the last five minutes might be some uh pathetic excuse for character development we've been stuck in that pattern for a while and i think they really broke the mold with this episode and we felt the vulnerability on the part of the team and the the menace from a from a antagonist that we haven't felt in a while on the show like a while a while yeah, I'm going to come in somewhere between uh, the three of you. I, I honestly don't know how I, I feel about the episode. I think I'll probably have a better sense after we talk about it. Because there were individual elements of it that I really, really liked. And uh, and as Dimitri was saying, you know, it it, it is, a, you know, changing the game a little bit uh, for The Flash. Uh, but on a certain level, I, I feel I agree with, uh, with Millie as well. That the whole didn't seem to hold together for me. So... Uh, with that in mind, uh, before we get into our thorough recap of the latest episode of The Flash, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. 
PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, Nasser. We open up in the home of the utterly punchable douchebag Joseph Carver as he hires someone to kill Joe West. Oh, my God, they're killing Joe. Uh, we'll Where's see later Brittany? this ragdoll, but initially he's kept a bit more mysterious and creepy as he tries to kill Joe by cutting his brakes and accelerating his car. Uh, Jeff, how'd you like the opening and the slow reintroduction of ragdoll? Oh, it was fantastic. I love ragdoll. It's, it's, he's such a fascinating character. Uh, so having him back was amazing, although having him back means that Joe is in trouble, and I do not like Joe in trouble at all. He was in a lot of trouble this episode. But having them give him a moment to be an action hero I thought was really great, because he's a man that's 50-plus on television, and they allowed him to have a badass moment in this episode and it was just him he didn't have anybody else there helping him out this was a moment for joe and i thought they they edited it well i thought the stunt was really good and it was very believable and as unbelievable as it was that uh, you know the, all of a sudden the car wasn't working and uh, rock music was blazing and all that kind of stuff and you hear the the maniacal cackling in the background and all that sort of thing uh, I, I just thought it was a really great moment for Joe uh, I, I thought it was a strong moment for Jesse L. Martin and for his character for the record Jesse L. Martin is 51 and uh, he did pop up out of uh, doing that shoulder roll out of a moving car Pretty darn quickly. Uh, anyone else have any thoughts on how uh, 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 Ragdoll was reintroduced slowly in the uh, opening scene of uh, Joe West Action Hero? Okay, so Joe knows he's being targeted by Carver, but insists on pursuing the investigation. Now, obviously, this is in character for Joe. He's a, a dogged detective, but given that he's going up against a meta uh, as the person who's hunting him, and that his personal bodyguard is losing his speed. Uh, Millie, what did you think about his decision early on that, no, I'm going to stick with this, I'm going to keep at it uh, and uh, and pursue this? I was a little on the fence about that. I mean, in, in a way, it makes sense because it's very in line with Joe, um, and, you know, he's, he's police like in him and wants to go and solve it. But at the same time, it's like, isn't it, it's out of your, your wheelhouse and kind of, you also think Joe would be the person to know when to like step back. Uh, despite Singh asking Joe to go into witness protection, Joe insists on interrogating Sunshine, another one of the black hole meta operatives. Uh, this leads to the on-screen reintroduction of Ragdoll, and I mentioned earlier the fact that, you know, Ragdoll was introduced kind of off-screen. You know, we just, uh, we heard his voice, uh, we saw, um, you know, Barry finding the evidence of Ragdoll uh, sort of as the explanation for what was going on, but it's in this scene that we actually get Ragdoll in his full creepy glory. Um, uh, Dimitri, how'd you like uh, uh, Ragdoll's entrance through the box? I thought, again, genuinely menacing scene, right? Like, it's very believable. Like, 
when people sort of, you know, float and there's like green smoke coming out of their ears and stuff, it's like, I, I, I didn't nobody notice this dude. But like, you know, he can fold into small places and he's in an evidence box and it makes sense. You know, it's a police station. Boxes are being moved all around, all around all the time. Nobody checked the evidence box and suddenly, you know, he's behind Joe. I, I thought it was, you know. It's a little shifty that, you know, this, like, seasoned detective takes a long time to to notice any sort of movement behind him. But they do address that Ragdoll can move pretty much silently. He's, you know, obviously very agile. So I uh, I thought it was a very an, an unusually uh, believable meta attack scene in that, yeah, this is a very plausible way to get the meta in. And I think Ragdoll is is just is just meta enough, but but not uh, like so meta that he becomes unbelievable. He can fit into small spaces, but beyond that, he's basically like this sadistic dude, right? Um, so I think that sort of lends some believability to the character, despite what he looks like. That is. Uh, that makes us really, and of course, you know, they're attacking, you know, Papa Joe, who's like the heart of the family aspect of the show. So uh, I think a combination of the things worked really well here. We we just came from seeing Joe sort of refuse protection. We see him, you know, totally foolhardy. We see him in what is usually a strength, but might be a weakness in this sense, in that he's so laser focused on getting the job done, he's not noticing what's behind him. And it all kind of comes together to make this genuinely unsettling scene, which I can't remember the last time a meta attacked and I was like, actually shook rather than this looks clownish. Well, I think part of that is the fact that the actor who plays Ragdoll is, at least in this opening scene, you know, when he's coming out of the box, he's doing that himself. That's a practical effect. This is a guy who is like freaky flexible yeah. and and is able to do uh, a lot of this stuff and i think that you know as you say you know it just feels more real than you know uh you know some uh, computer generated uh version of that um uh but having said you know as you said you know the, the realness of it part of the problem here is that so joe of course you know action hero that he is you know uh you know tries to protect uh, the uh, the, uh, the uh, sunshine and you know shoots at Ragdoll and Ragdoll somehow reverses Joe's bullets because apparently that's the thing he can do now. Uh, Barry has to race to the rescue only to have a speed crap out on him and Joe ends up getting winged, but it still refuses to walk away from the case and that leads to a confrontation with Barry, uh, in which Barry begs Joe to at least hang out at the Star Labs. Um, before we get to Joe's next decision, which is going to uh, confront the utterly punchable douchebag. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Joe uh, overall in the episode, because this was very much a Jesse Martin showcase. Uh, You know, it's not very often that Joe gets to carry the entire episode, but really, you know, aside from very little stuff in the subplots, this was a Joe-centered episode. So I'll open up to the floor, starting with Millie. Um, How'd you like the overall use of Joe in the episode? I liked it. I think, as you said, we don't get a lot of Joe-centric episodes, especially with his um, absence last season, so it's nice and kind of long overdue uh, for us to get that storyline. Um, I thought it, it was interesting and also kind of was like hints at the fact that something might be happening at the end of the episode. But one thing I did like is that it did help. It did give that moment between him and Barry because I feel like that has been lacking for a while, so it gave some great character moments that we haven't had otherwise. 
Well, it's also kind of interesting because usually it's people are going to Joe uh, for the advice and the sage wisdom. Uh, you know, and, and every character, it seems, uh, does that. You know, that's why we call Joe Papa Joe. Uh, but in this case, it's Barry who's trying to give the the sensible advice to Joe, and, and Joe's just the one not taking it. Uh, Jeff and Demetri, what do you think about overall how uh, uh, Joe West was used in the episode? I, I almost felt like his... Like Barry's concern for their their concern for each other was sort of underplayed. We've had repeatedly over the course of the show, Joe refer to Barry as his son. Barry refer to Joe as, you know, acknowledging that he's basically a dad, even when his dad was still alive. And a lot of this show seemed to focus around their relationship to Iris. Like, Bar- like Barry seems more and more stressed about the Joe situation because of Iris. Joe... Uh, I'm sure we'll address this more in a little bit, but Joe sort of as he's leaving is like, look after Iris and, you know, they hug, but there's very little uh, in the way of like Barry's going to miss his, for all intents and purposes, father uh, and Joe being concerned for his, for all intents and purposes, son. And that's something that's been played up in so many, so much in the early seasons and it seems to like be be dialed down uh, a fair amount lately, which which is uh, I feel a lost opportunity in that they really could have tugged at our heartstrings, you know, watching this, you know, father who's used to being who's historically been pretty protective of his growing up dorky son versus, you know, the son now having to sort of worry about his dad. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about uh, Joe overall? I liked it just because we don't typically get as much Joe uh, throughout the episodes as, as we did in this episode. As you know, has been referenced, he's usually there to give the pep talks. And this time around, he was front and center in the action. And he was the one, in essence, getting the pep talks. I, I do agree with Demetria. I wish that they would have used the father-son relationship that they do have to sort of tug at the heartstrings a little bit. Um, we got a lot of that in the early seasons, and, and maybe it's now because he's married to Iris, so, you know, uh, for some reason, it grosses people out online that, you know, they, you know, he was, he sort of sees Joe as a father, and it, does he see Iris as a sister? Clearly not. He had a crush on her since before he moved in with them. So I, I don't understand people's mindset when it comes to that. Um, I, I've read a lot of that online, and it's, I always find it hella weird. Uh, but now that he is married to Iris, I mean, you would think that they would use that sort of son relationship even more because he is now officially his son-in-law and uh, he was in essence his foster father growing up but they didn't do that and and, and that was a little weird um i, I did uh, for what they gave us I, I did enjoy the scene and it was interesting to see sort of like the shoe on the other foot with uh barry trying to talk no jutsu in essence uh joe down from doing something dangerous and reckless what was kind of 
I guess a, a line that sort of stood out for me in this episode was when Joe, like right after he jumped out the car and everyone was there and that sort of thing, he was like, when people are scared, they make mistakes. And that's something that came back later on the episode. But uh, yes, but, yes, that was great. Like, yeah, it was setup. like a little bit of foreshadowing. And uh, whether it was on purpose, I would assume it was on purpose or not. It kind of worked for me because it, it showed us, you know, the real threat that's out there. And, and it showed us that our characters, in essence, are scared. And it's been a while since our characters have been scared uh, in regards to the big bad. Well, and and one could argue that, you know, maybe Joe isn't sufficiently scared uh, at this point, uh, because after his talk with Barry, uh, he does the action movie cliche of setting aside his badge and going to confront the bad guy directly. Uh, Dimitri, what do you think about his decision? Did that seem in character for Joe? I mean, Joe, yes, he's a, a policeman first, but he's he's never been the sort of policeman who, you know, leaves his badge behind and, and does stuff like that, sort of goes outside the rules. Um, and what do you think between the about the scene between Carver and Joe when the utterly punchable douchebag got utterly punched? Yeah, um, it's uncharacteristically stupid, but also given what his plan was, which was essentially make him say something incriminating, you didn't need to leave your badge behind. It's not like uh, the guy forgot that you're a cop. Like he he knows you're a cop. That's why he sent somebody to kill you. Like. I don't I don't understand the the rationale. I guess it was like symbolic like oh I'm I'm doing this as a person not as a cop but no. Uh also I feel like it's it's almost like a trope, you know, if like a bad guy goes after like you know the the hero's family, the hero like goes to confront him and it's like this it's usually this sort of meaningless scene cuz in all intents and purposes if if somebody's trying to kill you, don't don't go to their house. But um, but yeah, it seemed it seemed more tropey than uh than Joey in that sense. Like it seemed more in line with just a very cliche trope than a than a thing that Joe would actually do. And even Joe like addresses it later. He's like, no, I didn't go there to like do some macho thing. I just blah blah. blah. But like it's also like we don't get a satisfactory description of why did you go there then it i mean we get that he's trying to sort of trap him up but it just uh it didn't make a whole lot of sense um i also i also wish that uh that whole scene rather than like an emp that can just delete one specific voice message on his phone DMP. like dmp dmp yeah I, that was uh we're drifting into the the realm of idiocy again like make something slightly more believable make him like hack his phone and delete his phone like a post that just knocked out one voice memo like really come on um it was it was out of character but also we see joe uh worried enough to the point where you know he he is you know, legitimately shook. It's a. Uh, it wasn't great, but it it wasn't uh, it wasn't awful, but it was definitely a more for plot than true to character moment, which we've been complaining about all season. 
Yeah, I think what they were trying to do with the, the badge is, you know, it's the cliche in the action movie, right? That the uh, the honest cop who's, you know, being held back by the powers that be turns in his badge and goes rogue and, you know, brings down the bad guy on his own. But Joe can't really do that. So, you know, they just sort of had that for... He's the captain, yeah. Yeah, who are you going to do? I mean, he could go to sing, I suppose, and, and, and turn his badge, but, you know, then you're going to have to call, wake up, sing at 11 o'clock at night, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, I, I, the, you know, uh, magnetic pulse... Uh, pissed me off too. Uh, I did really enjoy the the punchable because honestly, the first time I saw that that guy in the episode, I thought that is the most punchable face I think I've ever seen. Uh, and so Joe got to punch him. But uh, you know, talking about the idea of fear, you know, because Joe didn't go there because he was afraid or anything like that. Joe went there because he wasn't afraid. He didn't start becoming afraid until uh, you know, uh, basically the, the guy told him that you know I could kill anyone. I've done things you can't imagine. I could kill Cecile, I could kill your daughter, um, which is, of course, why Joe hauls off and decks him. But I think that's the point at which Joe realizes that, oh, shit, uh, this has gotten more serious. And, of course, uh, it leads to Ragdoll going after Cecile uh, and strapping her to a pressure-sensitive bomb, which seemed a bit excessive to me because I was thinking, you know, if I was trying to kill them, I would just say it so that as soon as Joe opened, it wouldn't start a five-minute timer. It would just blow up and kill them both. But we did get sort of in the flashes over to uh, Ragdoll and Barry that turns out Ragdoll isn't just a killer, he's a psychopath who likes toying with people. Uh, so I guess the game kind of made sense. Um, Millie, what did you think about the scene with Cecile and Joe? It's kind of nice to see two grown-ups uh, interacting on a CW show. I agree. It was nice to see them, you know, grown-ups interact and also have, like, an interaction that is actually adult. Um, I thought it was it was really good. Um, and we don't get to see them in particular uh, interact a lot. And I think that uh, that was nice to see. But I also think that there could have been more uh, more behind it, um, more, I think, drama kind of upping the the stakes a little bit. It just seemed a little, a little like, underplayed. Yeah, it, it, it sort of you know it did come about quite quickly uh, in terms of uh, Cecile becoming the target. And again, it's the sort of thing that you know Joe probably should have realized before he went to confront the bad guy. Uh, I guess he was thinking that you know he would have the recording, and then the bad guy would just allow him to walk out uh, and arrest him. But you know, obviously that didn't happen. Um, obviously, you know a, a you know a running theme in the background uh, for the episode is that Barry, you know, can't overuse his speed. We saw that uh, in the uh, the scene with uh, Joe. Uh, and Ragdoll earlier, so now Barry's forced to try to take Ragdoll, Ragdoll down without using his speed. Now, this is, and again, getting back to what we were talking about uh, uh, when we talked about when Ragdoll was first introduced. When he first came in, that was a practical effect. That was the real actor playing that, and I found that really creepy. In this scene, it's a CG version of Ragdoll springing out of you know uh, tubes and stuff like that, and I just found it goofy and silly. Uh, Jeff, how do you feel about the CG version of Ragdoll versus uh, the real-life version? Oh, gosh, yes. I, I agree with you. Uh, we have to. I, I'm glad that you mentioned this earlier in the podcast because maybe the our listeners don't remember this, but Troy James, the actor that plays Ragdoll, is a contortionist. He uh, appeared on America's Got Talent a couple of years ago, which I think that's how the Flash people uh, heard of him. 
and uh, he can he can bend and twist and turn and that sort of thing. I would say maybe 85% of the stuff that we see that Ragdoll can do, in particular in previous outings with Ragdoll, that is Troy James doing it. Uh, when he spun around, that was CGI. As he was going inside of tubes and that sort of thing, that was CGI as well. It was weird i don't know if um if they were going for it to be comical or something i it it didn't really work for me just the whole scene was odd with barry just opening up different pipes and that sort of thing you know oh you didn't get me oh i'm over here it they turned a character that is menacing by himself and kind of made him a little bit comical and i don't know if it's because you know the, the flash the television show is really popular with kids so they tried to lighten it up after having ragdoll be so creepy at the start of the episode i don't know what's started to like really take me out was i love danielle nicolette but that ridiculously over the top scream that she did when she saw ragdoll and then that thing cut to commercial i was like what are they doing here i was like that's the best take they could get i hated that i hated it so much too and i love me some danielle nicolette but that was something out of like a made for tv movie on sci-fi or something like it was it was just really bad and i hate that that's the like the cut that they did because i'm going to assume that they had her scream a couple of different times and you know use the right take and that was the wrong take to use it was just i don't know what they were doing I hate that they constantly, like, she's someone who's supposedly a veteran prosecutor, and she is the jumpiest, like, cutesiest person, and it's just like, this doesn't add up. She must have seen things. Like, if you confront the underbelly of a major city every day for a living, like, you're not going to be that jumpy by the time you're considered a respected veteran in your career. Like, it's the same thing as, like, Joe not contemplating the possibility that like his family might be in danger it's like not only is he a seasoned cop his family has been attacked so many times this show alone like i'm surprised they're not all in witsec already like people have gone after him realizing that barry is the flash like how is this suddenly news to you it's another you know tropey rather than believable given the the characters and their storylines kind of situation well let me just say because i did sort of insult danielle nicolette for half a second i do want to give her props because whenever she they do the whole thing where they're trying to convey to us the viewers that she's overcome by the emotions uh, surrounding her and and near her like i feel like she does a really good job with that I just, oh, absolutely. I, I didn't don't care think for it's the her screen. fault at all. I think she sells the, you know, I'm slightly ditzy, jumpy, you know, etc. But, like, uh, the truth is she's, you know, we, she, we, she was sold to us as, like, a very believable, you know, very seasoned attorney, a very seasoned uh, district attorney. So then, like... It, it's such a contrast, and it, and the two are not believable. Either one is believable, and Danny Nicolette plays them both really well. But you don't have a character that's both. It's just like those two tropes don't go together. This is head 
headcanon on my part, but the way I saw it was that, yeah, it was a little over the top, but I think she was using her powers. She was, like, picking up what was going on with uh, with Allegra and, uh, and Nash, and uh, and then, you know, came face-to-face with uh, uh, with Randall and was just overwhelmed by the evil in him because she was sort of, like, open up, open to stuff and was, you know, straining to pick that up when she, you know, got a, you know, a mental glimpse what was inside Ragdoll's head um that might have been and and I, I do feel like they were trying to again you wonder whether there are you know missing scenes or anything like that sort of playing up the idea of of Ragdoll as being you know uh you know the evil manipulator uh rather than just a, a higher killer I'm wondering if that was intended to be there for that reason uh because otherwise you know him setting up that line that he has in the fight with Barry where it's like you know he's you know when he's he's caught and and you know uh handcuffed and you know it's just you know sort of lamenting it, it just it felt like it came out of nowhere. Um, you know, it, it was like they were trying to turn a meta of the week into something more than that. And, uh, and, and I wonder whether there was, you know, other connective tissue uh, that maybe was missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry gets enough speed to get Cecile to safety, but not enough speed to get back to save Joe, who fortunately deactivates the bomb. But having gone through that experience, realizing that, yeah, he almost lost the seal and he almost died himself and he is putting his family at risk. So he decides to go into witness protection after all. Uh, uh, so, uh, Millie, we didn't hear much from you over the past little bit. What would you think about that resolution to the Joe storyline? I don't know. I'm on the fence about that one as well. I'm on the fence about it a lot. But I think for me, it makes sense and it's kind of like it was – clear that that's where it's going but i think for me it was you think that his biggest motivating factor is like to protect his family wouldn't he also take his family into witness protection as well um because i mean obviously they were targeted already so i thought that that was really strange um i think that's really what kind of threw it all off for me is it just didn't seem realistic in that sense especially because like you know joe is a family guy um and he has a baby like you would take the whole family with you not just yourself Yeah, I'm not sure how uh, witness relocation works in a situation like that. Um, but, yeah, it did seem uh, uh, a little odd. I would think, you know, if you were talking about, you know, if it was like a um, someone who was involved in an active investigation or, you know, was a witness, uh, then I could see them maybe take them away from their family. But, yeah, they are still leaving that family there uh, that is vulnerable, um, uh, aside from the fact that they, they sent the baby to stay with, uh, you know, uh, Cecile's sister because no one's ever going to look for you. Uh, at you know your, your auntie your uncle's place that's uh, that's genius right there uh, so uh before we get to the other storylines because there was other stuff going on in the episode we should put a bow on the joe storyline because it looks like we're not going to see joe for a little while possibly oof, not until next season at this point uh so sing has been pushing joe to go slow for several episodes and we speculated as to whether he was working for black hole we find out he's actually working for Eva. Uh, presumably, uh, I'm, this is an assumption on my part that this is a mirror sing uh, because of the words he uses that you know obviously mirrored. See what I did there? Uh, the words that mirror Iris uh, used <laughs> earlier. But um, thank you. Uh, so, given that we now know this about Sing, let's uh, speculate wildly, which is what we love to do here. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, where is the real Sing? Uh, you know, does this mean the real Sing knows Barry's secret, or has it been Mirror Sing all along? Uh, where the hell is Camilla? And given that everything Mirror Sing did, you know, over the past few episodes, and you know, this is Mirror Sing was doing that, he was trying to stop Joe, and but he was basically doing it in a way that he was protecting Joe. So, what does that mean for Eva's plan? It, it again, I, I don't get the sense that Eva is 
necessarily evil. Um, and we'll talk more about what we find out about her plan later. But what do you think that the Singh reveal uh, means, Jeff? Well, I said this from the beginning, and there were a couple of weeks when I was going back and forth, but I've always said that she was not going to be a big bad in a traditional sense. She was mysterious. We were questioning, is she going to be evil and that sort of thing? Clearly, she's doing bad stuff because, you know, you don't necessarily kidnap people into your mirror universe and send out clones and that kind of stuff. Send in the clones. Like, you don't do that if, uh, you know, and, and not and that not be sort of like considered nefarious. So she is doing bad stuff, but I feel like she's doing it because she's trying to, in essence, free herself from the mirror and to take down Black Hole. So the Sing reveal was surprising for me, especially because, uh, you know, even though it was like a thousand years ago, I do remember we were talking about like, is he the mole? You know, moly, moly, moly. Like it seems hella obvious and that sort of thing. So the fact that he's not, he is not the mole and uh, he just happens to be, um, um, mirror sing i thought that was a really great reveal and uh, i was expecting that if they would have done that reveal to be like the post credits thing clearly they went a different route with the post credits this time around but um i i really enjoyed that and uh, i i don't know i still don't know where they're going with uh with eva just because um yeah, like I'm I'm fascinated to get more of her backstory because I feel like we're still missing some pieces of the puzzle to fully understand exactly what happened to her. Like did her husband trap her in the mirror? Was it an accident that she got trapped in the mirror and and he sort of in essence took advantage of that? I, I need more information about Eva and exactly what happened that night um but uh i i yeah i'll just say this i i loved the reveal and um it was hella interesting it it it, it, we have to remember that eva controls the mirrors so that's how she knows everybody's secrets and and the sing we saw i would assume last season was probably our sing so we knew that sing knew about uh barry's secret um so i i think that's still canon i don't think that was mirror saying you know all those ages ago i do think oh and one more point i do think the mole the mole that's with carver is clearly a different person oh yeah for almost yeah definitely um but uh jeff was just talking about uh, you know eva and her plan so let's talk a little bit about eva uh you know iris came up with a way for them to escape the mirror only be blocked by eva because it seems that eva is less concerned with escaping than with punishing her husband uh dimitri any thoughts on that scene between eva and iris or the scene where eva has a mirror delivered to her husband to basically you know confront him and then he smashes the mirror yeah um for a second i was wondering because uh we saw a photo of them seemingly happily married and then um there's the question where iris is mirror iris is like why do you care about the flesh? And she's like, I don't care about the flesh. I care about my husband. 
And then for a second, it's like, are they actually working together? Have we been thrown for a loop this whole time? But no, it does seem like she really does hate the guy. I, I don't blame her. I hate the guy. But uh, I, I don't know. It's um, it's really. I, I'm trying to figure out exactly what what her end game is too. I did think the broken shards on the floor with her sort of uh, giving him a death stare through each shard. I mean, maybe I've been on the receiving end of death stares for my girl a little too long, but I, I just thought that was a really menacing touch. Uh, I thought that like really established her as a sinister presence because he, despite being a bad guy and despite inflicting very real consequences on Team Flash. He's not a menacing presence, but there's something about her, the mystery about her, that creates a menacing presence. And I thought, you know, the that shot with the broken shards on the floor and she's sort of, like, looking at him through each one. First of all, I don't understand why you wouldn't sweep knowing that your wife can see you through the mirror shards, but that aside, it, it was a very nice uh, effect. Can I? Yeah, he chose to go for the dramatic smashing the mirror rather than just the sensible covering the mirror back up. I know, right? Can I just say one little thing that stood out to me in that scene? And I feel like he said it earlier in the episode to Joe, maybe, where he was like, I'm untouchable. I'm untouchable. Now, I don't know if that necessarily means, you know, because I have all this money and I have all this power and I have all my hands mixed in different pots. And so, you know, I can't be taken down. It could be that, but I wonder if there's something more to that. And I don't know what it means. I don't know if they're going to go in the direction that he also has some sort of power outside of power. Uh, But uh, it was an interesting line, and they mentioned it a couple times in this episode. It does seem like they're they're trying to wrap it up um, him as a a baddie. You know, because originally, you know, he was just sort of like, you know, your typical corrupt businessman uh then there was the episode where he was going up against iris and we came to hate him uh in this episode it, it clearly everything that was done was designed to make us hate him so I, I do wonder whether you know it is trying to keep out keep up the idea that you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend um so you know uh when it turns out that uh, eva's real um motive is revenge on her husband uh whether that might you know give her you know, a path to if not redemption and at least uh, you know a reason to work with uh, with team flash um, elsewhere, Cisco and Ralph team up to track down Sue Dearborn, who Ralph has tracked to an event in Central City. We haven't had a lot of Cisco and Ralph this season. Uh, how'd you like putting the two of them together and uh, the way they were tricked by Sue, uh, uh, Millie? I like that we do get to see them together because um, we—it's not apparent we do get also because we haven't gotten Cisco a lot. Um, so it was fun. I like how uh, amused Cisco was by Sue um, and. It, I like the mission, but I guess for me, it just seemed like it, it seemed very disjointed from the rest of the whatever else was going on um, with every other character that was being used. Um, I thought, so I thought like it kind of took you out of the main, you know, just storyline and things like that. Um, but I do think that eventually it kind of got to the slowing point. Like we did see the connection, but I felt like it took way too long to get there. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting having uh, Cisco have that reaction to her because uh, you know it's it's almost like well we're going to talk about the uh, the relationship between uh, Sue and Ralph in a second, but it's almost like you know by him having that reaction to 
to her. It's almost like he was vouching for her. Uh, you know, I, I always said, in, you know, when you're watching a Shakespeare play, if you're not sure about how to react to someone, just watch what a secondary character says about that character, and you'll know what Shakespeare wants you to think about them. Um, because Ralph figures out that Sue isn't robbing for money or even the thrill of it, she's also trying to take down the utterly punchable douchebag, Joseph Carver. So it looks like a team up. And now I've said before, Sue and Ralph are one of the favorite married couples in comics history. Uh, Jeff, this uh, gave us a really good episode to, for the two of them together. What do you think of the chemistry between the two actors? I liked the chemistry. I had sort of um, a, a, a mixed reaction to Sue the last time we saw her in, in her sort of centric episode. I really liked her in this episode. I thought she played off of Ralph really well. Uh, I love the gag of, oh, are you too married? And gross. I, I thought that was good. I loved that Ralph sort of opened up to her when they were together uh, alone and that she opened up to him. Uh, yeah, I, I just found myself really enjoying Sue this episode. Seeing January galore and then having that reveal that it was Sue was a really great moment as well. And it shows us that whatever they're doing over at Batwoman clearly continues on over here on The Flash. Right, Professor? Definitely, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the, uh, now, that said, I don't know that we know that it was actual skin that she was wearing, but... Uh, okay, well, was, there uh, is yeah. that. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 you know, just, you know, with things that have been going on in the world, I've been going back and watching old screwball comedies from the 30s and 40s, and I definitely got a vibe of, uh, like, a Cary Grant and uh, Catherine Hepburn or, or Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Uh, yeah, the, the pattern of that, speech uh, and everything. Thing. It was exactly. very Patter, old school Hollywood. And just the way they're playing it. I, I'm really getting a, a great vibe. And also, uh, with Sue giving him the uh, the gem that we know uh, is linked to Black Hole, it does, I think, make it clear that you know they could be working together. And I certainly hope. I, I would like to see the uh, those two crazy kids get together. Yes. But I love the moment speaking... with Cisco. Just really quick before we leave this, I love when uh, when he was like, oh, you fancy. You fancy, girl. And she was like, yeah. And then <laughs> oh, like, God. He was and so Ralph breaks it thing. up. It was fantastic. Will there be waffles? Uh, yes, and of course there were, or, or fritters, depending on uh, on, yeah. on who you ask. Uh, but yeah, will there be waffles? And then cutting to the waffles. Um, but anyway, if, even if those two crazy kids can get together, uh, two crazy kids who probably won't be getting together, because we have the painful gut punch storyline where fake Iris, who just couldn't be found when Joe was saying his goodbyes for some reason, uh, she confronts Barry. Uh, you know, anyone who's, you know, come home to someone just sitting there at the table staring at you knows that things are not going to go well. Um, she basically insists Barry should use his power, uh, take her to see Joe, but Barry, of course, doesn't have much power left. He has to conserve what he has. Uh, Barry's worn down, and fake Iris puts the boot in, ultimately throwing him out of their apartment. Um, unfortunately, I've seen the promo for, for next week, so I know the answer to this question. But, Dimitri, do we think this is more doom and gloom for Barry, or is this the point where fake Iris has overplayed her hand and Barry finally has to realize something is wrong? I, maybe because I was watching the recap, but it did not show the preview for next episode, which I'm very salty about. But I, it seems to be that Barry is not considering things at all uh and it seems sort of a wasted opportunity in that wally mentioned to joe something's off about iris and now joe is gone um it really is infuriating because i mean i don't think iris you know lean on somebody else's machine gun iris would um would 
risk her father's safety um you know and and her husband's abilities uh it just is so out of character um honestly it doesn't have to be much i would settle for for barry just looking over at cisco like does iris seem different to you like it doesn't have to be like a huge reveal but this is so like it's so dense at this point that he's not realizing it um, and obviously, you know, I'm going to give him the end of this episode in that he was worn out. He was obviously shaken. He almost lost his almost dad. Um, you know, he was he was sort of racing to get him to get him out. Uh, I don't I didn't fully understand why he didn't just speed Joe and Cecile out at the same time. But go figure. It just. I hope it doesn't last too much longer because. It's kind of like if you believe in all of this, like, do you know your wife, like, at all? Uh, Millie, what do you think? Is this the uh, the turning point? Has Barry finally realized that, uh, you know, there's something up with Iris? I don't know. I haven't seen the previews. I'm not really sure, like, what's been hinted. But um, based on his current trajectory, I feel like it's not. And he'll probably uh, continue to be a little clueless side. Um, I think at this point, though, it, it like Demetri said, it's getting a little little ridiculous. Um, I mean, it was already ridiculous from the beginning. But now it's just kind of dragged out to the point that um, it needs to be finished. But now he just looks like a sad puppy. So I'm kind of concerned he'll just be, like, brooding the whole, like, episode, not really, like, connect the dots. Uh, before we move on to the MVP section, was there anything else from the episode anyone wanted to mention? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I, I have a couple bullet point things that I want to go over. First up, the fact that all the wires were green, I thought that was awesome. Because usually when we have a bomb on a TV show, they're different colors. And the fact that they were all green was spectacular. So I, I love that little eye, eye uh, with the, the detail. Iris... Real Iris telling Eva that Barry is the Flash. I was like, really? Are we telling everybody that Barry is the Flash? I, I, for me, that bugged me. I don't know if it bugged anybody else, but I, I just, I'm like, damn it, we're back to the whole thing where we're telling everybody that Barry's the Flash. So, uh, so there was that. But I guess it's a trope that we should all be used to. The fight, because I have opinions on the fight. Um, oddly enough, there was a part where I was on Siri's side. Because Barry does end up making decisions without taking anyone into account. And so I did like that Siri made that argument. I just hated that it was Siri that made that argument. I don't like it when mommy and daddy fight. I I, I did not enjoy that fight at all. Um, I did see the promo, so I won't go into that. But I, I would hope that after everything... That this has to be the thing that wakes Barry up. If if it doesn't, then he's just a, a moron. And um, the entire internet is screaming at Barry to realize that this is not your fucking wife. And I, I just, I really need him to wake him up. I really need him to wake up sooner rather than later. Because this is just now veering into the realm of pathetic and um, I'm disappointed that the writers haven't done what Dimitri said like you know even if it's a small line like is Iris is there something off with Iris and, and even Joe because Joe has experienced stuff and 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 Wally said that to him like the fact that he hasn't even said a teeny tiny little line of like are you okay baby doll or whatever the hell he calls her like it, that has that's that's bugged me 
but I will say that Candace Patton has been acting her ass off. There was an interesting line that I read online that bugged me because I'm just like your misogyny and racism is showing. Uh, I read somebody in, under the comment section of the recap. They were like, Iris was an asshole before and now she's even a bigger asshole. I'm like, when the hell has Iris been an asshole? Although she does play uh, an asshole well, I will say. So that's all I had to say. Uh, anyone else have anything? In that case, it's time for the MVP. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Yeah, seems there's an obvious choice, so I'll go first. No, I won't. I would never do that. Uh, Dimitri, who is your MVP and why? I mean, uh, like we said, it's, it's a Joe-centered uh, episode, and... While I do think there were some very un-Joe moments, I do think that Jesse Martin acted the fuck out of this. Um, so, and, and uh, it's a testament to how much he's done over the years with this show that we felt his vulnerability so deeply. Um, like we we were shook that someone would come after him. That from the start when uh, when he tells Ragdoll to kill Joe, we're all just like, hold up, wait, who? You we'll let you have Barry. You can't kill Joe. Like it's just uh, it's just a testament to his his presence throughout the uh, throughout the show. Uh, Candace Patton posted that um she she had uh she had spoken with him like one of the nights this week and that you know he's such a he's such a warm positive person that you know she felt better after talking to him so i like to think that he's like this in real life um but just the the sheer uh i think like so much of the quote unquote family nature of the flash is due to his presence alone and uh and I think, you know, that that is what enables an episode like this to take place and to have the gravitas that it does. So, Joe, for me. Millie, who is your MVP and why? I have to give my MVP to Iris. Um, as mainly for the end, um, I like that we get sassy telling the truth. Iris, even though it is fake Iris, I think that Candace did a great job um, carrying that bit. And so um, it was enjoyable, even though we didn't get as much of her as I'd like. Jeff, who is your MVP and why? In an episode filled with darkness, because, uh, you know, the stakes were high in uh, the, the majority of the storylines, two out of uh, the three, uh, I'm going to give it to Sue for being that bright ray of sunshine throughout this episode. I really enjoyed Sue in this episode. I thought she played uh, off of Cisco really well. She played off of um, our uh, uh, elongated man really well. And I like that she ended up giving him the diamond to sort of like show, you know, show him a, a bit of what she's been up to and, and that sort of thing. So I'm going to give it to Sue. Oh, and also she had a fantastic exit that was very mission impossible ish uh, i'm going to give it to joseph carver uh somewhat uh, unusually but you know more for the actor who was playing him because as i say i want to punch that guy out from the moment he sipped his orange juice at the beginning of the episode he just played him you know really well i mean the whole point of it is to make us really hate this guy it's clear that you know 
from his interactions with Iris, his interactions uh, with Joe in this episode. We're supposed to hate him, and I think the actor who's playing him is doing an absolutely fantastic job of uh, portraying, you know, a, uh, a business douche. Uh, so kudos to him for making me hate him so very much. Yeah, and acting-wise, um, it is very difficult to seem like an asshole while you're drinking orange juice. One would think, yes. Uh, unless you put vodka in it, in which case, uh, after a few of them, it becomes much easier. Uh, how would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning bolts? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Jeff, let's start with you. What would you rate this episode? All right. I am going to give this episode a 9. I thought all of the storylines were really good. There was a lot going on in this episode, but they handled the storylines pretty well. Um, I, you know, just because I like the characters, I didn't necessarily like how it ended, but that gut punch I think was needed in particular for Barry. So hopefully it's a wake up call. Um, the Joe stuff was really good. The, uh, the lighter side of the coin with Sue and Ralph was really good. So overall, I'd say it was a nice return for the flash. So I'll give it a solid line. Dimitri, how would you rate this episode? I I agree with Jeff. I was thinking exactly a nine. You know, some uh some some of the things were uh obviously, you know, as I've expressed, not really Joe esque, but I thought this episode was truly, you know, menacing. We saw some real vulnerability. Um I would say, you know, even with the Iris in the mirror plotline, it does feel like we're we're coming to a head in terms of finding out what exactly the plot is. I, I would say this is this is a breath of fresh air. I I hate that that storyline is still going on, um, but I think just the the tone of this episode being different sort of took away from the tedium of seeing Iris stuck in the mirror for what feels like a season. Uh, Millie, how would you rate this episode? Well, unsurprisingly, I will go a little lower than both Dimitri and Jeff and give it a 7.9. Um, I felt like it was a great Joe episode, but I think that, uh, the out-of-characterness of that and some of the other parts to make it all work took me out of the episode. Um, I think as well as my whole, this storyline with Iris in the Mirror has been going on a little too long um that it just it, it kind of is hard to connect with Barry and his storylines as well um and individually I liked Cisco and Ralph's storyline but again it just didn't really make sense in the whole total of the episodes it just seemed a little bit everywhere uh well I'll split the difference I'll come in with an 8.5 uh, I thought it was a good and enjoyable episode I, I as I said I, I did some issues with uh uh, Joe, but it was nice to see, you know, a 51-year-old uh, acting like an action hero, so uh, kudos to Jesse Martin uh, for that. And uh, that's it. Join us next time for a brand new installment of the Central City Citizen. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thecentralcitycitizen. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. 
Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash radio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks, Nasser. Co-host, please wish the listeners good night. Millie? Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. And, of course, that's where you should also contact her to get your transcript. Dimitri? Good night, listeners. You can follow me on Twitter at, at BrownBaldBeauty, and that is my Instagram handle as well. Jeff? Good night, listeners. Stay safe. Whether you're in, you're in the real world or the mirrorverse, please wash your hands. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Central City Citizen every Thursday by Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Good night. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. After Black Hole hires Ragdog to kill Joe, Ragdog, oh, for heaven's sake, oh. picking it up, 